where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We're back with episode seven of season six, The Last Angry Male Man. <laughs> you brought a bit of a uh, sort of... Matt Berry. <laughs> yeah, Matt Berry. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to this episode then. We're going to continue that impression throughout. I'm John. <laughs> and I'm James. This episode was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. All right, that's enough. <laughs> Oh, no, you can say directed by. Uh, stretch it to that, at least. It's directed by James Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode was at, on the 12th of November, 1987. What a way to begin an episode. That, that is, of course, my impression of, of Matt Berry, uh, who, for American audience, is perhaps most well-known as playing Laszlo Cravensworth in What We Do in the Shadows. And also has no relation to this episode. None at all. <laughs> Unless you've done some deep digging, uh, no relation that I can... None at all. It's just fun to speak like him at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, James, should we kick off with the cold open? Yeah, why not? <laughs> and a bit like Laszlo, we see Norm playing with a pocket watch in this episode as Carla's laid down pregnant and he's swinging a pocket watch over her stomach to try and guess the sex of her twins. Which, if they're twins, could be one of each, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of they go back and forth about this because he says that the pocket watch is doing both signs. Uh, not really twigging that, it could just be one of each. Not the smartest people in, in Cheers. No, but Woody brings some excellent knowledge from, from his local town where uh, he says that they used to put a chicken egg, a fresh laid chicken egg on the stomach and they'd see the child's, well, no, it's, they'd say they'd see the sex through that. Yeah. Not the child's gender. The chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, Woody's just your regular human bartender. Has a simple method for determining facts of life stock. Well, that was a reach, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but you got there, I think. On to the main episode. Yes, which comes with a, an entrance and a beer, as most episodes do. <laughs> well, Fraser enters the bar and he's been talking to an old acquaintance of his who uh, has a bit of knowledge on uh, Rebecca's past. Oh, yeah. Fraser has come in with some hot gossip. You can't touch that <laughs> gossip. It's too hot. <laughs> well, he believes he knows someone who went to college with Rebecca in Connecticut College, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, University of Connecticut, yeah. They're not sure if it is the Rebecca Howell yet, but he's heard a, a couple of stories and uh, the gang are thinking, how can they confirm which college Rebecca went to? Now it's the game of facts of Rebecca. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, they, they, Sam's pretty quick on his feet and he manages to get the information pretty quick by just saying to her, uh, we're all talking about colleges that we went to. And then she makes a bit of a snipe at him. Yeah, she's like, you went to college, Sam? Come on, son. But they quickly confirmed that she did go to University of Connecticut. It is the Rebecca. It is the Rebecca Howe. And, uh, well, that nickname, it certainly implies a lot, doesn't it? I've got a major news flash. I just had lunch with Miss Howe's former college classmate, and it seems that she had a nickname huh? at UConn. Give, give. Well, he wasn't sure how she came by this appellation, but it seems that at some point during her little sojourn there, she became known as... Backseat Becky. Oh, no. <laughs> Boy, what do you suppose that means? 
And the, the, the gang at the bar are, are thrilled to discover this because they kind of one up on her. But before we get to that information reveal, James, we also get someone else dropped by the bar, which is none other than uh, Cliff's neighbour, which is uh, Jim McNulty. Which is a strong name. <laughs> and he's got a petition going to save the neighbourhood, essentially, because big developers want the land to uh, develop a mall, essentially, on and tear down all the houses. And he's trying to rally the, the neighbourhood to uh, fight against this and not sell. This episode is interesting because of this reason. And basically, one thing that they hadn't really touched on for a show set in the 80s was the, I suppose, consumerism Mm. and that newfound obsession with wealth and possessions that flourished in the 80s. And I think with this development of a mall, it's probably the most head on we've ever seen it addressed. Mm. Uh, particularly right at the end of the episode, which we'll mention when we get there. But I've laid a seed for you, and a big tree will grow. <laughs> well, uh, Norm kind of dismisses this idea of protecting the neighbourhood because he's quite—he uh, says he's quite forward-thinking, and he thinks that development is uh, leads to sort of greater profit for the land, kind of idea. Uh, and he kind of laughs this guy off who wants to, him to sign the petition. I mean, we won't go into it because it's a whole political uh, debate, but. Uh, the conundrum there is, while it might have some economic benefit, it has an element of displacement, doesn't it? Mm. Some would say gentrification. Yeah, well, I guess we do get into that a bit because we get to visit the old uh, Clifford household where he's talking to Mark Laven. And they have this very same conversation, really, a little bit, because uh, she has signed the form, the petition to save the neighbourhood, and Cliff is a bit upset with her initially for doing so. Yeah. Uh, because, as he alluded to earlier, he wants to see the area develop. And it might bring more business, but what does that mean to the... Community? Community. Yeah, the people. And uh, I think that's something which his mum's definitely on the side of, and she gets the old uh, family album up to show Cliff the good times that they've shared together there. And they look at various different events and holidays, but one thing which has stood the test of time is a tree which Cliff planted in the garden... Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's kind of says, they wouldn't tear down my tree. And she says uh, they would do it as quick as they would look at you. Cliff rolls up sort of a uh, protective nature towards his tree and decides that he's going to fight for the neighbourhood and sign the petition. They end the conversation by Cliff sort of going, now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go climb my tree. Well, and then it becomes a debate of man-made versus nature in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. This episode is a lot deeper than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> now, back in the bar, and you mentioned Rebecca's got, her nickname has been revealed, James. Yeah. She's mortified. She is. She is mortified, but they play a cruel, cruel trick in revealing this knowledge to her. They're all talking about their nicknames that they had. I can't think of. Well, Sam's got Mayday. Mm. I don't believe any of the rest of them had nicknames. Norma had Moonglow, which is a slightly embarrassing origins, but nowhere near as, as embarrassing as Rebecca's sounds like. I'm trying to think who else has. I suppose uh, lots of them have abbreviated names that have become nicknames. Like Cliff and Frage yeah. and Woody to, in, is one, actually. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so the mystery then begins of uh, why, why did she get this nickname, James? And that's what becomes uh, the mystery for the 
everyone in the bar because they want to find out. And she gives a few false ones to try and put out the fire, I guess. Yeah, like she always had to sit in the back seat because she was car sick or something. Which would have been a lot simpler explanation than the desperate ones she came up with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one would have, I mean, I don't think they would have believed it, but... Would have made more sense. Better than the one she was given. (laughs) You know how sometimes as a joke, you call someone the exact opposite of what they really are? Well, I was really shy in college, so my friends thought it would be a huge gas to call me backseat Becky. Huh? Well, it's simple, it's it's logical, and we don't believe it for a second. Well, wait a minute, I I believe her. Us virgins have to stick together. (laughs) I told you the truth. You don't want to believe it, fine. Just believe whatever you want. All right, here's the real truth. I was very aggressive in college, a real go-getter. I never took a backseat to anyone. Uh... No, no, no. (laughs) I don't think they're fooling anyone, though. In the end, she pulls Sam aside and tells him uh, what I would say is probably quite a steamy story. Yeah. uh, It's, well, yeah. <laughs> I was distracted there. Uh, it's it's steaming a lot of ways, John. Hot, uh, which might sound sultry, but it has the origins of a fire. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like the best way to do it justice is play it. Oh yeah, I'm not going to recite it. <laughs> say if you're too uh, embarrassed to say something, feel free to act it out. I was living in a women's dorm on campus, mm-hmm. and one night a fire broke out. Ah. Well, I didn't have time to change my clothes, so I had to run out to the parking lot wearing only a teddy. Black, but see-through. All of a sudden, I was caught in this fire engine's headlights. I didn't know what to do. I looked all around, and uh, suddenly I spotted this open convertible. I climbed in, and I slunk down to the back seat. Suddenly, this hulking fireman was standing over me. It was magnificent. I looked in his eyes. I knew what he wanted, and I wanted it too. I peeled off his black rubber raincoat. He ripped off my teddy. I can still feel the heat on my flesh. But it wasn't the fire. It was us. When it was over, I opened my eyes and I noticed we weren't alone. Others had watched and not said a word. <laughs> and that's why I'm known as Backseat Becky. Satisfied? This story took Sam back a bit and Sam uh, doesn't really know how to react. He just sort of wanders off set. Wiping his face with a towel. Yeah. Uh, and then Rebecca goes around the corner and thanks Carla for uh, writing this explanation and gives her $10, I think. For the story, which means that either Carla's very imaginative or Carla's had a wild life. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably both. Carla says the $20 story would have killed him. And uh, <laughs> then what really happened? And Rebecca goes, that'll cost you $100. And I just. Uh, Business mentality. <laughs> it's, it's business mentality, but you know, is if that's going to be the long-running mystery arc of Cheers, then I'm invested. <laughs> and I think, uh, in in some ways, that's quite nice that it uh, brought Carla and Rebecca together in that way. Yeah, I think it's good that Rebecca's slowly making friends. 
she's got Norm and Lilith and uh, Carla. Yeah, and I think that closes the sort of, I'm guessing that's the B plot of this episode. It feels a bit like a, an A plot, but I'm going by the title. The title refers to Cliff. Before we go to the climax of this A plot, shall we talk about the cast? Yeah, that sounds a good idea. Francis Sternhagen as Mark Laven. Kevin Dunn as Jim McNulty. He also appeared in LA Law, Family Ties, Roseanne, Blue Steel, Seinfeld, Hot Shots, Jag, I Heart Huckabees, Lost, Prison Break, Samantha Who, Luck, True Detective, Veep, Miracle Workers, and many more. It's a long, long list of repertoire. Oh, wait until you hear the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got Don Sparks, which is a good name, as William Cronin. He also appeared in Hill Street Blues, Who's the Boss, Matlock, Freddy's Nightmares, Married with Children, Quantum Leap, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, LA Law, Coach, Boy Meets World, Law and Order, Elementary, The Good Wife, Mr. Robot, and many more. Tim Cunningham as Tim, Hugh Maguire as Hugh, and Trisha Long is uncredited, but she also appeared in Pucker Up and Bark Like a Dog, Hunter, Columbo, Murder She Wrote, and the TV pilot Silver Fox. Phil Pullman also appears as Phil. Oh, many a good cast member in there. I'm assuming some of these uh, people were sitting around as a, what do you call them, a representative from uh, the mall came? Yes, that was, of course, William Cronin, yeah. Yeah, to uh, purchase the Clavin household. And he's uh, been pestering Ma Clavin to get her to sign a contract. And Cliff, now with his new uh, found love of his tree, and also the community, comes to her aid and tells this guy to back off. And then it's revealed that he's offering to pay them... Half a mil. Is it half a mil? Yeah. It was a quarter of a mil. Oh, quarter of a mil. I suppose even a quarter of a mil then was like half a mil now, isn't it? Inflation. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? If they're buying every house for that much. And what that mall's going to be, better be quite something. Better be the hotspot of Boston, you know, for all your shopping needs. <laughs> and of course, uh, Mark Lavin, Esther, changes her tune. She wants to sell, get the money, become rich. Cliff goes, hey, we're Clavins. We don't, we don't back down. And she goes, I'm only a Claven by marriage, Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, you know, she was offered a lot of money. I think you'd take that. You could buy another house with that much. You could uproot the tree. Take it with you. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. Uh, And she signs the contract and uh, the deal done, essentially. And Cliff, probably one of my favourite moments at the moment, is uh, Cliff runs over and rips up a piece of paper and says, what are you going to do now? And then the uh, lawyer, I assume, comes over and goes, well, first I'm going to take this contract down to the office and then I'll call my wife to ask her what I'm supposed to pick up for the grocery store. (laughs) Which I thought was a great moment. (laughs) And then we have a little bit of a a jump in time where we see some of the the B plot that we talked about already unfold. And then we get Esther Esther Ranson, who's that? I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) We get Esther Clavin into the bar in search of Norm because she needs his help. That she does because Cliff's gone done something drastic. He's handcuffed himself in the in the house. As a form of protest, yep, I get it. Uh, so, <laughs> some people on the internet believed that this set of the Claven house was a redecorated version of the Malone Chambers house from near the end of last season. Oh, right. I, I could see uh, that. The, the door certainly looks the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I assume a lot of these houses that we see are redress sets that we've yeah. seen before. Recycling. Eco-friendliness. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that in mind, let's let's say what happens in this house, because Norm ends up getting his mum back on side, and uh, she decides that they're not going to sell. 
Meanwhile, Norm has gone out to get a, a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, because he wants to set Cliff free. <laughs> Saw his handcuffs off. <laughs> After uh, Mark Haven and Cliff have decided that they're uh, going to try and keep the house and fight for the house, uh, Norm comes in, cuts down uh, the pillar that Cliff is chained to, to free him. Uh, and as they're leaving, they hear a, a bit of a creak. Which, you know, it's probably just those old, those Boston birds approaching on the roof. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. And as they are leaving, the whole house falls down in on itself. Yeah. <laughs> in a big heap of uh, mess. Rubble and everything. Uh, Cliff says that he's happy to leave such a dump. But the last shot of the episode I thought was quite poignant. It's uh, the picture falling, isn't it? It's the picture of the, one of the presidents, James. <laughs> one of the presidents. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a framed photo of Ronald Reagan. And I thought that was quite poignant, seeing a, a photo of the president fall down, because Reagan was very much the figurehead for this kind of consumerism movement. So that, that was quite a poignant image, I thought. Like, they didn't need to focus on that specifically, but they did. And I thought that was quite poignant. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose there's a, a lot... I don't mean that you could get behind that. It's it's paired with the line, imagine we got a quarter of a million for this dump. Yep. <laughs> Did cheers just get political? <laughs> I when mean, wasn't it? we won't say anything for or against, but it's certainly, I think, indicative of the era. I think that's the best way to put it. It's Cliff, from fresh from his rubble. <laughs> <laughs> And he's delivered some uh, lovely trivia mail here, James. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. At the beginning of this episode, we mentioned Fraser walks into a bar. The classic opening of a joke. <laughs> but uh, he says that it's a good day. It's good to be a psychiatrist in this day and age. What are some of the reasons why? Divorces, hopelessness over financial situations and rampant paranoia. Yeah. And he says that the industry is thriving. Again, it's so. <laughs> it's that Reagan, I tells you. <laughs> <laughs> what is Carla's nickname for Rebecca? Uh, she says this upon hearing that one of her nicknames was Backseat Becky. And Carla's like, what? And then calls her a nickname. What is said nickname? Oh, I don't know. It's Miss Granite Panties. <laughs> yep. Carla doesn't hold back the punches. <laughs> she, does, she does not. Uh, when uh, Cliff's mother uh, sells the house, he says there's a few things she'll miss once they're not living together. What are those things? I want to say... It's going to be something a, a bit weird, maybe slightly creepy. Something <laughs> like tucking her in to bed at night or something. Uh, he says, uh, after a week of cooking your own meals, doing your own dishes, washing your own hair, you'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another question about Mark Laven. A two-part question, no less. What were they eating? Oh, I don't know. Um, I have no idea, James. Yorkshire puddings. Oh, of course. There's yeah. some great trivia behind that. Yeah, and uh, second question, what is the trivia? Uh, that it was in like a, a 17th century famine or, or beef shortage. And they uh, would have Yorkshire pudding with gravy to trick them into thinking they've had more beef than they'd had. That's it, yeah. In the 1770s, due to a beef shortage, British came up with Yorkshire puddings as, as, as soakage 
No idea if it's true. I I like to think it's true, and it's can, it's yeah. certainly plausible. <laughs> British food is very much not known as being good food. But one thing it does well is it soaks up liquids. Another question for you, James. Mark Laban says that she uh, wants to go and move somewhere. Where does she want to go? Florida. Yes, to which Cliff, very out of character, <laughs> says, uh, who would ever want to live in such a stinkhole? So after seasons of his love and admiration for Florida and the oranges, he's very quick to turn around and slag it off. Yeah, that, there was an irony there, which I like. <laughs> Just an in-joke for the people who know. Yeah. <laughs> That's last call at the bar, James. What are we, we going to be drinking this week? I'm going to be drinking Yorkshire puddings full of gravy. <laughs> That, that sounds all right to me. Just, just mopping it right up. <laughs> Cliff and both Clavians actually are purveyors of facts. But if you want some more little-known facts and exclusive facts, no less, then tune into our newsletter. We'll give, be giving you behind-the-scenes update as well as related news news. But as we talk about this episode, The Last Angry Mailman, I think it was a pretty good episode, James. Yes, as I say, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was quite farcical what we get with cliff episodes and this happens at an increasing amount is he becoming a parody of of himself and this was a concern i was having entering entering this episode but the themes present in this episode i think certainly made it work as opposed to just being a self-parody and I think definitely with uh, Francis Sternhagen back as Esther Claven, definitely as a, a good pairing with uh, John Ratzenberger. It was nice to see them play off each other again, especially in this family dynamic. And actually, James, I, I didn't even mention my favourite quote of this episode, and it's a great way to end the episode as well. As we have our Mark Claven Yorkshire puddings, why don't we have a, a little look at the misty watercolour memories of the way we were, as uh, Mark Claven says, as they flick through the family photo book. Well, that's lovely. Thank you for listening. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. <laughs> <laughs>